Our scripture we're going to begin with today is in uh, James, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Before I read James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, actually I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians, These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Each week we come in here, and each week we open the Scripture, and we preach and we teach from the Word of God. We're going to do that again today. But I want to remind you, I wanted to read that scripture from Corinthians because I want to remind you that when we preach and teach from the scripture, we're not just giving you good life principles, good principles for success. Anybody can do that. An atheist can do that. There are men who make their living going around the country having motivational seminars and they have great things to say. And they can teach you and they can encourage you and they can equip you to be successful in many ways according to the world's standards. But only the gospel and only God can break open your heart and give you ears to hear and eyes to see. The gospel cannot first be caught here. It must first find entrance here in your heart. So the things we're going to talk about today, in one sense, are very spiritual, but in another sense, they're very practical. They're both. So I want to read to you James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. James writes, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds today by the power of your Holy Spirit. That, Lord, your gospel would indeed break open and into our hearts. That this gospel would change us, would transform us in every sense in our spirits, in our minds, and yes, even in our bodies. We ask this, Father, that your church, that this church, that Christ fellowship, this body of believers, would be a body of people that would bring glory and honor to your name, not just by what we believe in our hearts and our minds, not just by what we practice in our personal lives and in our homes, 
or even in this congregation, this assembly of believers, but let it be what we live and what we walk and what we talk and what we practice in this world to make a difference to those who have need in their spirit, in their soul, and in their body. We ask this, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We are to preach the whole gospel for the whole person. The title of this message is A Whole Gospel for a Whole Person. A whole gospel for a whole person. The gospel we preach is the power of God unto salvation. Paul writes that in Romans 1.16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first, but also for the Greek. The word salvation means to rescue, to deliver. It means to save. Both morally and physically. The word save, it's a different word than salvation. They're related. But the word save means to make whole. Now the word save for us, we think of You know, pulling someone out of a swimming pool that's drowning or pulling someone out of a car that's wrecked or a doctor heroically bringing someone back to life who's had a heart attack. They saved saved a life. And most often we think of this term saved, to save someone in terms of their physical being because that's how we use it. That's how we experience it most often. But the Bible When it talks about salvation, when it speaks of being saved, it speaks of being made whole. Now, when we think of salvation or to be saved in a biblical term, we always think about someone's spirit, whether they're going to go to heaven or whether they're going to go to hell. Oh, are you saved? Well, that if you are, that means you're going to go to heaven. I remember the, the night I committed my life to Christ for the first time in front of anybody, the lady that I was with, I was in her home actually, not there to commit my life to Christ. I was there for a very different reason. I was there because it was my job. I was there to make money. But by divine appointment, I go to her house and she asked me this question. She looked me dead straight in the eyes and she said, so are you saved? And I knew exactly what she meant Are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? And when we think of salvation biblically, we most often think of it in those terms. When you die, are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? But the word save, the word salvation, what those words really mean biblically are not just whether you're going to go to heaven or hell. It's not just whether you live or whether you die. It speaks of of your life, of your condition in the holistic sense. It speaks of the condition of your spirit, of your soul, and of your body. To be saved biblically is to be made whole in every sense of the word. And God has made provision for us to be whole 
in every sense of the word. Now, this is my final message dealing with or talking to you about six strategic goals that we want to embrace as a church. And you probably don't remember what they are, but, but I'm going to remind you. The first one was to strengthen our cohesiveness in belief and practice. That's through a commitment to the gospel and the Great Commission. That we are all believing, but we are also all working for the same things. To increase our leadership within the church so that we can go into our community and lead. That requires a commitment to raise up leaders within the church to become leaders within our community. If, if what we believe, if our faith, if what we embrace, if what we come here week in and week after to sing about and to pray about and to hear sermons preached about, if it only stays within these walls, then it is pointless. If you just take what God's given you and you just hold it within yourself so that you can go to heaven one day, then you've missed the entire point of the gospel and the great commission and what salvation truly is. The third goal was to grow our capacity to serve both church and community. That's making an equipment, uh, making a commitment to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is what Paul writes about in Ephesians 4. He says, this is why Jesus gave gifts to the church. It's why he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You are the saints. I'm the saints too. My vocation is pastor. Your vocation may be something else. But we are all saints. We are all the body of Christ. And we are all young and old, rich and poor, black, white, brown, yellow, red, and polka dotted. We are all called to the work of ministry. Because our identity is in Christ. And in Christ, this is what we are called to do. The fourth was this, to seek engagement to affect community transformation. This is taking the light of Christ in you and shining it everywhere you go. To engage in a lifestyle that affects, that causes, that influences gospel transformation. Now you and I, in and of ourselves, we have no power to transform anything. But we are God's vessels. We are God's instruments. He has created you to take you and use you to affect his transformation. He has transformed you, I pray, in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body. And I Pray and I hope that he will now take you and use you to influence that same transformation in the world around you. The, the fifth one was this, to cultivate fruitful relationships, existing and new. 
This is a commitment to relationships that impact you and those around you, our community, for the glory of God. You need relationships that will impact you for the glory of God. You don't need relationships that will drag you down and pull you away from the glory of God. That's not hard to figure out, right? So today we come to the sixth goal, and it is to equip to equip you, the saints, to minister to the whole person, spirit, soul, and body. A commitment to serve the whole person, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically. Man is a triune being. So the Bible says man, above anything else in his creation, man is created in the image of God. And I believe that a large part of that has to do with our triune nature. I personally believe man is a triune being. He is spirit, he is soul, and he is body. Man is a triune being and salvation is for the whole man. Salvation is for our spirit, for our soul, and for our body. So you have a spirit, you have a soul, and in case you didn't know it, you have a body. Our spirit is that part of us that God regenerates and makes alive in an instant when we're born again. The word soul in your New Testament is a Greek word that that is defined as the seat of your mind, your will, and your emotions. So your soul is that part of you that is defined by your mind, your will, and your emotions, your soul. And your body speaks for itself, right? And what do you do with your body? You feed it, you give it rest, you work it, you rest it. It is a gift from God. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. We are to take care of it. We are to honor it. Because God has given it to us. So the whole man, man consists of body, mind, and spirit. Our salvation in Christ means to be wholly saved. This is the salvation the scripture teaches us. It is the salvation of the whole man. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, Paul writes, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls you is faithful who also will do it. Who called you is faithful will also do it. What will he also do? Well, it's the promise that God will sanctify and preserve 
your whole spirit, soul, and body blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. So Paul says, Paul prays that God would sanctify and preserve your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. So God has redeemed us wholly in Jesus Christ, not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y. He has redeemed all of us, our spirit, our soul, and our body. It's not just your spirit that is going to inherit the kingdom and eternity. It is your soul and your body. Yes, your body. We're going to live on this earth in real, physical, glorified bodies. Heaven is coming to earth, and earth and heaven will join, and we will live on this earth, and we will enjoy the physical pleasures of a physical earth. I fully expect to go and see the mountains and the oceans and the beautiful things that I won't perhaps get to see in this life, in this body. But I will see wonders beyond imagination one day in a new heaven and a new earth. This is our redemption. It's not just spiritual. It's not just in part. It is the whole of us that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So God has redeemed us wholly, and so our salvation encompasses regeneration in our spirit, transformation in our soul, and transfiguration in our body. So let's talk about those three things briefly. Regeneration in your spirit. John chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. That is regeneration. To be spiritually born again is to be regenerated in your spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is regeneration in your spirit. You are now seated with him in heavenly places. How can you be seated with him in heavenly places and also be seated right here in Christ Fellowship Church Sanctuary at the corner of Mills and McLean? It's because you have been, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, regenerated in your spirit, and God has seated you with him in Jesus Christ. That is your position spiritually. But you are, in every sense, spirit, soul, and body, also seated right here, living right here on planet Earth. They are both true. That is not an illusion, and this is not an illusion. That is real, and this is real. 
Ephesians 5, 8, for you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord walk as children of light. How did you once darkness become light? It's because God regenerated you spiritually. Because God caused you to become something you were not. You were dead, now you are alive. You were darkness, now you are light. That is regeneration in your spirit. Romans 8, 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. This is regeneration in your spirit. This is what it means to be saved spiritually. To be born again of the spirit of God is to experience regeneration in your spirit. Regeneration is the work of God and God alone. You cannot regenerate yourself. I cannot regenerate you. Only God can regenerate you. Regeneration in your spirit is the work of a sovereign God. By regeneration in your spirit, you are made alive together with Christ. By regeneration, you are now light in the Lord. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. By regeneration, you are a new creation. The old has passed away, and all things have become new. By regeneration in your spirit, transformation in your soul, and transfiguration of your body will become realities in Christ by the promise of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you have experienced regeneration in your spirit, in other words, if you have been born again, there is no question that you will be transformed in your soul and you will be transfigured in your body. There's no question about that. It's not a hope you have, it is the promise, and it is a hope in the sense that you have not experienced transfiguration yet. You are experiencing transformation of your soul even right now as you hear the gospel read and preached to you. Whether you realize it or not, the Holy Spirit in you is working to bring about transformation in your soul even right now. So let's talk about that transformation in your soul. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul writes, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now, the writer of Hebrews wasn't questioning whether those believers were truly saved or not yet. Those who had been regenerated in Jesus Christ, those who had been born again in Jesus Christ, he knew full well that they were already saved. But he also understood that there was a salvation that was being accomplished in them, and it was that saving of their soul. It was that renewing of their mind. If you read the letter, you'll see that there were those who were part of the assembly of saints who were thinking 
some wrong things. And he's saying, listen, if you are truly saved, then ultimately you're going to come around to God's way of thinking. There's no question about that. And he says, my confidence and my belief in you is that you are not those who draw back to perdition, but you are those who, who do what? Who believe to the saving of the soul. In other words, you true believers, you are going to go on and you are going to believe the right things, practice the right things, live the right things. And that is going to prove out that you truly are regenerate, that you truly are born again and saved in Jesus Christ. Now, all these babies that are here, when they were born, they, they weren't born all thinking right, correct? Babies, kids, I hate to break it to you, but even adults have all kinds of wrong thoughts, right? And we are constantly having our thoughts brought back in line. Hopefully they are. That's one of the most important things about reading the Bible. You read the scripture and the scripture brings your mind back to where it should be. It provides the boundaries so that you know what path you are to be on. And it provides the boundaries so that when you get off that path, you know you've gotten off that path. And it will show you the way back onto the right path. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? We are being transformed into the same image. Does that mean that we're all growing up physically to look like Jesus? That, that one day we're going to all look like just a monolithic, unified, we're going to all look like identical, well, it wouldn't be twins because there'd be more than two of us, right? <laughs> no, that's not what that means. What does it mean to be transformed into the image of God? It means that your life will become to look like his. Your mind will begin to think like him. You will begin to walk like him and talk like him. Why? Because your soul is being transformed because there is a transformation and a renewal that's taking place in your mind. And why is that happening? Because it's already taken place in your heart when God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, regenerated you. Now, by the power of his Holy Spirit, he's transforming you into the image of the Son of God. So the transformation in your soul is a work of the Holy Spirit, but it's not without the renewing of your mind through the application of truth through the Word of God. Transformation in your soul is a result of regeneration in your spirit. If you have experienced regeneration, if you have been born again, you will demonstrate transformation in your soul through a renewed mind. If you have been born again, your life will demonstrate a change. It will. It must. In short, regeneration produces transformation, which is a new heart producing a changed and a changing mind. Your mind doesn't just one day change. Your mind is constantly being changed. 
Renewal of your mind is not just a, a switch you flip. It is a process that we will live out, I believe, for all eternity. Because God is infinite. So we will in and through infinity be learning of him, seeing his newness, experiencing his newness. And that changing mind will produce a changed and changing life. So let's talk about transfiguration of your body. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He will transform our lowly body that may, it may be conformed to his glorious body. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 53, Paul writes, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality." The culmination of our salvation is the transfiguration of our body. The bodily resurrection of Jesus was the first fruit of resurrection. In other words, he was the first of many to come. And we have this sure hope and this promise of the transfiguration of our body because we have experienced Regeneration in our spirit by the grace and the power of God and we are being transformed in our soul by the renewing of our mind by the washing of water of the word and the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. It's not just you mentally understanding the scriptures that are being read today. It's that you would in your spirit receive those, hear those, and those would become life to you, not because you understand it here. Remember, I always say this, and I'm going to say it again. When you read the Bible, it's not what you're understanding. It's not what you're getting out of the Bible that's most important. It's what the Bible is doing in you. So don't stop reading the Bible because you don't understand it. Because who understands all the Word of God? Nobody does except God. Keep reading it and keep trusting that as you read it, even if you don't understand it, as you read it, it is working in you. It's like water that is washing over you. At my son's Caleb house, there was a sidewalk that we poured. We poured it ourselves and the rain gutter comes right down on the sidewalk and runs over the sidewalk. And I've noticed that since that sidewalk was poured and since, and it hasn't been that many years ago, where the rain comes out of that rain gutter, the sidewalk is worn there. Now, when that sidewalk was poured and it hardened and the first rain that came out of that rain gutter across that sidewalk, it appeared as though that water just rolled right across that sidewalk and did absolutely nothing to the sidewalk. In fact, it took many, many, many rains and it just appeared like that water just rolled right over that sidewalk and absolutely nothing happened to it. But now, 
I look at that sidewalk and I realize that from the very first rain that fell through that rain gutter and ran across that sidewalk, there was something working on that sidewalk, even though it could not be seen by human eyes. But in the culmination of time, because there was a consistent, steadfast washing of the water across that sidewalk. Now you look at that sidewalk where the rain gutter is and you can see where the water is working on the sidewalk. That is exactly how the word of God works in you. You read the Bible and you think, well, this isn't doing anything for me. I'm not getting anything out of it. So I'm just going to throw this thing away. It's worthless. No, you keep reading it. And you keep reading it and you keep reading it. And it's not what you're getting out of it. It's what it's doing in you because the washing of that water of the word is working in you whether you realize it or not. But one day you're going to realize that all of that water of the word that's washed over me has actually done something in me. It has changed me. It has marked me forever and I will never be the same. The culmination of our salvation is the transfiguration of our body. We have this hope because of Jesus. And because of the regeneration in our spirit, because of the transformation of our soul, the renewing of our mind, we know that we will experience this promise. The whole gospel means a whole salvation for the whole person. So we can say this. We can truly say that we have already been saved. It is a completed work by the regeneration in our spirit. We can also truly say that we are presently being saved. It is a work in progress by the transformation taking place in our soul and the renewing of our mind. That is being worked out right now. And we can also truly say that we will be saved a future work with the physical resurrection of our transfigured bodies at the Lord's coming. Therefore, our salvation is past, present, and future. It is spirit, it is soul, it is body. It is triune like we are in God's image. So a whole gospel means the salvation of the spirit. It means the salvation of the soul. It means the salvation of the body. The hope of the gospel is here, and now it is not then and there. This is the way a lot of Christians live their lives. They live their lives thinking that in the then and there, I'll finally get what God has promised me. Now, I'm going to tell you, Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, gave up his body so that you could experience here and now his salvation. A whole gospel must be more than presenting these theological truths concerning the saving of our spirit, the saving of our soul and our body, though it can never be less than these. Do you hear what I'm saying? In other words, 
The gospel that we believe, the gospel that we preach, this is the gospel. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again on the third day according to the scripture. This is the foundation and the substance of our faith. But it's got to be something more than just a thought, a belief we hold in our mind. Our faith must translate into a tangible work here and now. It cannot be a theoretical there and then. We can't just say to people, just hold on, one day you'll get to heaven. We can't do that. The gospel we preach, the faith we have, has to translate into a tangible work here and now. We can talk about faith, but our faith must be living and demonstrated through our lives and in the lives of others. We must preach and live a gospel that meets the spiritual, emotional, and physical needs of those that we are commanded to disciple because that's how God has saved us, spirit, soul, and body. If someone is lost spiritually, we must have a gospel that will save them spiritually. If someone is wounded emotionally, our gospel must heal them emotionally. If someone is hungry or naked or destitute physically, our gospel must feed them and clothe them physically as well as emotionally and spiritually. This is exactly what James writes in his letter. We are called to preach and to live a gospel, not according to our convenience, but according to the needs of those that we are called to disciple and minister to. As the body of Christ, we must be prepared to minister to whatever need a person may have. James teaches that it is not good enough to say to a hungry or destitute brother, be warm and filled and send them on their way. People need a gospel that will put food in their stomach, clothes on their back, a roof over their head. They need a gospel that will feed their body as well as their spirit and their soul. But it does no good to give them a gospel that clothes them, feeds them, and houses them if we are not also going to give them a gospel that will save them from their sin. If all we're doing is clothing and feeding and housing sinners and making them feel comfortable in their sin, that's not the gospel either. Our gospel must be whole. This is exactly why we started Shepherd's Heart in 2000. This is exactly why we are attempting to build that facility on the loop out there. Because we believe as a church that we must minister to the whole person. And we need to equip ourselves and, and access the resources that give us the best chance to do that. We cannot ignore people's physical needs. The gospel demands we feed those hungry and clothe those naked. However, if we feed and clothe them physically but ignore the need of their spirit and their soul, then we've ignored the mandate of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. We must not ignore the needs of people in their spirit, their soul, or their body. We, we too often swing one way or the other. We can embrace a false gospel that feeds the body, starves the spirit, and ignores the soul, or we can embrace a false gospel that feeds the mind, starves the body, and ignores the spirit. We should do none of those. We need to embrace the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ that touches people in their spirit, in their soul, and in their physical being. Jesus commands us to preach this gospel 
that regenerates the spirit, transforms the mind, and transfigures the body. The gospel of Christ meets people at their point of need, and it meets the whole need where they are. Physical food, emotional food, and spiritual food are a complete and balanced meal. God always serves a complete and balanced meal. You will never go to God's table and get junk food. You will never go to God's table and get an excess of one thing and a lack of another. God always provides for us a balanced meal. We need to choose what we're going to eat, what we are going to partake of. Salvation conveys a sense of health. It is actually part of the meaning of the word. We are rescued and delivered for the sake of our health, for the sake of our wholeness, for the sake of our life, our abundant life. That's what Jesus came to give us. It speaks of our wholeness, spiritually, mentally, and physically. We are saved in that way. So our goal is to equip you for ministry, to minister to the whole person, the spirit, the soul, and the body. This will require a commitment to serve the whole person. It may mean making sure they have groceries. It may mean they have a shoulder to cry on. It will always mean they hear and see the saving grace of God and the message of hope and the powerful gospel of Christ. Because the greatest need of every human is to be saved and delivered from their sin. And the gospel will first and foremost do that. Salvation is not a one and done event. Salvation is not getting saved over and over again either. Salvation in Christ means we have already been saved. It means we are presently being saved in our soul, in our minds. And it means that we will one day be saved in our bodies. I have a sister whose body is racked with cancer right now. I'm praying and trusting God to heal her right here and right now. But here's what I know. Whether she dies of cancer or not, she will experience bodily, physical wholeness in Jesus because he has already paid the price and redeemed that for her. Whether she sees it now or whether she experiences it when her body will one day be transfigured at the coming of the Lord. The gospel of Christ meets our need, be it spiritual, be it emotional, or be it physical. And so the body of Christ must be prepared to meet the needs of those who have real spiritual, real emotional, and real physical needs. This is the whole gospel for the whole man. We are to walk it, talk it, share it, spirit, soul, and body. You hear this wind and this rain? Very likely in the days to come, we may all have an opportunity to put this very message in practice. People that are flooded out of their homes, people that are suffering because of this disaster, Will the body of Christ rise to the occasion? I believe it will. Will Christ's fellowship rise to the occasion? I believe it will. I'm going to do my best to motivate you 
that should the opportunity arise, this church will rise to the occasion to minister to those spiritually, emotionally, and physically for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. I want to invite you to come to the Lord's table. As you trust Jesus, come to his table. If you've never trusted Jesus, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would lean on him, trust in him, and rely wholly and solely upon him to save your soul, to deliver you from your sin. If you have never, I invite you, come to Jesus. Come to the table. Here is my charge. Would you stand, please? I charge you to seek to preach. We are all preachers in a sense. I charge you to preach through your life a whole gospel. Do not simply pray for those around you. Reach out to them. Minister to them in their spirit, in their soul, and in their body. We are charged by the Lord to serve and minister to people spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, and physically, just as the Lord Jesus did. Seek the Lord, and he will show you how to do this with those he places in your life. Let his love cast out all fear. Obey his command to love, to love spirit soul and body.